Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about sourcing cannabis ethically, REI leaving the city, and how a Portland police officer lost his job twice. Joining me for our weekly news roundup is Brianna Wheeler, writer and host of Willamette Week's Dive podcast, and our very own lead producer, John Notariani. It's Friday, April 21st. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. John, Brianna, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Before we jump in, I wanted to ask you both a question so our listeners you know, could get a feel for who's in the room. Um, have you both heard of the Mount Tabor Soap Derby? So of course. Box Derby. You know what I'm talking yeah. about, John? You've, mm-hmm. Have, you, have any of you been to it? I've never been, actually, but I've seen it online. No, I've never been either. You guys, you have to go. It's magnificent. It's like adults with way too many resources creating these soapbox racers, you know, um, that like usually holds a few adult men or women. So they're just like very large and they're always very uh, well curated, like they're themed, you know, like someone once made the Simpsons couch and oh, everyone dressed that. up. Do you remember? And everyone dressed up like a character and sat on the couch and raced down this freaking urban volcano. It's crazy, right? <laughs> so this year, some friends and I are, are planning and taking part. Um, oh, are you? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we're, we've, we have a concept. We're, we're thinking it through. Um, but it made me wonder. And the only reason I'm taking part, by the way, is because I have an engineer friend. If I had no engine, if it was all radio <laughs> people, we would just be not there. <laughs> Can you imagine, John? We were just like You'd be Let's on the sidelines, just yeah, recording just a bunch the of journalists. As they go by. Brianna, do you want to make it? Yeah, we, we would. That so fun. <laughs> so much would fail like two feet in. I mean, if we even had anything to show for ourselves. But yeah, um, radio engineers of the world, thank you so much for making us <laughs> for helping us survive. I know. But anyhow, so it made me wonder, like, okay, if other people had this luxury of having an engineer friend, like, what would be your concept? So what we're planning on doing is possibly doing the, um, might be too ambitious, but we're thinking of doing uh, Wayne's World, like that little gremlin car and like blasting, uh, you know, Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Because it's easy to get the little hat, get the, you know, wigs. And there's, there's usually three people in the back and, you know, the guy who's throwing up, we might not have him, but like, you know. We're all headbanging, going down the hill. I think it's going to work out. Um, what about you, Brianna? What, what would be your soapbox? Oh gosh. Well, you took Wayne's World, which <laughs> is sorry. an amazing, <laughs> amazing concept. Not my idea, by the way. That's an amazing concept. I just want to give it up. It's Tiffany Kamhai, who's the local host for uh, All Things Considered. That was her idea, and I think it's brilliant. But uh, Brianna, what would, your, what would yours be? 
Well, I think that I would take a note from my personal hero, Rihanna. (laughs) And I think I would do a giant spliff. Right? Like a big joint. Oh, oh, I love this. Yes. Because we could put a few people in a joint and it could kind of look like a boat, sort of. Yeah. That'd be Oh, I see. So there'd be be little seats. What would you guys, would you guys uh, kind of like be the personification of smoke blowing back? Like, would you guys have like wigs that look like smoke or like what would you guys be dressed up as in the split we would be dressed up in different eras of rihanna (laughs) (laughs) i love it i would be most recent rihanna i would be super bowl rihanna just super comfy yeah like whatever i'm just here (laughs) super bowl rihanna is the best rihanna (laughs) and like it'd be so cool if the way you stopped is you you like took out a really big umbrella you know, and you just let it drag. <laughs> you know, like a cartoon. And that was like your parachute was like an umbrella looking thing. Oh, my gosh. And we could have a horn and it goes, Ella, Ella. Ella. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> John, what about you? What would be your thing? Uh, I, I'd keep it Portland. I, I would put my engineer friend to task and I'd want to do Hawthorne Bridge. I want to have like a giant Hawthorne bridge going down the hill, but I would want it to actually have the bridge lift as well. So I would want to be able to like shoot the like place where the person is sitting up as we're going down and like do the bridge lift. And then we could stop in the middle of the course and block everybody and do the bridge lift (laughs) and create a traffic jam. Yes! John, I'm gonna need a brilliant. really like high class engineer to make this happen. But, like. That is brilliant. I want this for you, John. That <laughs> is too. brilliant. That's great. That so is. There are so any good. engineers out there? They want to take on a challenge. Hit us up, <laughs> <laughs> Portland at citycast.fm. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, that was that would win. That would win because yeah. there are ex- nobody could get past us. No, exactly. <laughs> the time races. <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so Brianna, uh I think this is your first time, so welcome. Welcome to our Friday roundup. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So each of us uh the way it works is each of us brings a Portland story to share from this week's headline. Um since you're our guest, could you start us off? Sure. Um so my headline that I wanted to share this week comes from the 420 issue of Willamette Week. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week, it's actually a piece that I wrote. Um, my focus for this cover package was buying weed ethically. What does it mean to buy weed ethically? How can we be ethical about the choices that we're making when we buy weed? Um, and things that we want to remember about this cannabis um, industry in Oregon, things that we need to keep in mind when we are buying weed. Mm-hmm. Um, so right off the bat, It's really important to always keep in the front of our mind that smoking cannabis is a revolutionary act. Using cannabis is a revolutionary act. Growing your own medicine, um, you know, not using uh, drugs or alcohol and instead opting for marijuana. These are all really, you know, revolutionary acts. And there are communities that have been hugely impacted by the war on drugs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Black and brown communities have been absolutely just, I mean, they really got the the worst end of the the war on drugs. And a lot of that comes down to marijuana. And we have to keep 
these facts about this industry in the front of our mind. That that kind of the the bigotry, the racism that was cultivated during the war on drugs, um, that still lingers today in this industry. And it's really, I mean, Oregon, y'all know Oregon's reputation. You know, I'm not blowing anybody's mind by saying that Oregon has a deeply bigoted, deeply racist history. What? I, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Were you sitting down? I hope you were sitting down when I said that. Um, now, while we have this, you know, this, this terrible legacy, we also have a legacy being at the forefront of cannabis. We were the first state to decriminalize it in the 70s. So we've always had cannabis culture here. Hmm. Um, so what we're, what we're facing now is this kind of this rough juxtaposition between um, a legacy of a therapeutic cannabis and a legacy of terrible institutional racism. So simple, easy ways to make sure that we're not keeping that going and instead fostering a really equitable space. Uh, one thing that we can do is always support our BIPOC manufacturers, our mm -hmm. farmers, our BIPOC women farmers and manufacturers and shop owners. Um, and another thing, it's, it takes, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, maybe probably not even that long to find out if your favorite dispensary is involved with their community. Are they giving back to their community? Right. Yeah. One of the things that I found really interesting in your article was some of the places that you listed, right? You like actually go through and brought up a number of shops that are BIPOC owned, that are community involved. And I was wondering if you could tell us about one of those places and what it is that they're doing that's different. Yeah, absolutely. I will talk about Green Muse all day. That was the one this I was looking at too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even need an excuse to talk about them. Anybody, anytime anyone asks me visiting from out of town, where, what dispensary should I go to? That is the dispensary I send them to. So Oregon, we have this reputation. We have a very glossy boutique dispensary uh, jam. That's our vibe. And we have set that standard and it is the envy of other markets. Now, mm. Green Muse definitely has that glossy boutique vibe that we want. It has that energy, but it's also in the black community, or it's in the it's in a historically black community that has been radically gentrified. Um, so they kind of are this necessary tether to that community. And they're also, in addition to being just like a really cute dispensary, they're like a little hip hop museum. Hmm. They sell records in there. They've got what? all of this great memorabilia. So it is just a, an entirely different energy, an entirely different vibe, but still like very, it's what you want when you go to a dispensary in Portland. It's everything that you want. And also they're playing jams. They're partying in there. Yeah. You can buy records. You can look at old, you know, tape decks. It's just a, a really great energy. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. I think that's just at the top of my list for sure. Yeah. I've walked by it and it just looks like there's a house party going on sometimes. Like, I've literally been like, wait, Seriously? are they selling stuff in here? Because everyone's just like vibing outside. You know, like all that's totally. missing are like the little red cups, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's that's a solid vibe if you want to, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm I'm having a good time. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. It's very like, I get the feeling of like, I'm walking up to my pot dealer's house when oh. I walk. Because it is like, it's in a house. Like yeah, they yeah. retrofitted a house for it. So it's just a great mm. energy. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because it feels like, at least to me, it feels so normal to have legal cannabis at this point. It's just sort of 
totally adjusted to the reality of that being a part of our lives. But I mean, wasn't there a situation where last year the governor pardoned like 40,000 people that had had like a tiny, tiny conviction mm-hmm. before uh, before the law had went into effect, right? It's only been since 2016. And there are all these people who are in our community that had still had like on their record an ounce or less of possession. Mm-hmm even though it's completely legal at this point, and they were still living with the legal ramifications of having that charge until like December yeah. of last year, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, for anybody out there that does still have that on their record, um, expungements, expungement clinics are happening all over the city. Nice. Um, and it's Oregon is actually kind of ahead of the curve as far as expunging records. Um, I was talking to a lawyer with the Last Prisoner Project, which is a nonprofit that is, you know, they will go, they will, you know, resign that business when there are no more nonviolent offenders in prison for cannabis offenses. Like that's their whole MO. Um, And she was very, oh, Oregon's great. Yeah, they got right in front of that. As soon as uh, recreational legalization happened, they got right in front of expunging records. And there's clinics at PCC, the community college. There's the uh, Cannabis Workers Coalition. They do clinics. Um, so even if you somehow escaped the mass expungement, there are still ways to get those crimes expunged from your record. That's great. Well, I uh, <laughs> to to go from that into something totally stupid, I was looking at something <laughs> that I saw uh, that Portland is the top cannabis city in the country, according to like some fake online survey of oh. like, you know, the, where, you know how like online they're like, like mm-hmm. Portland is number one of this and that. And they have some yeah. like, fake statistics. <laughs> but the one statistic that did jump out at me is the one of the reasons that they say that Portland is number one is because we have some of the most Taco Bells per capita in the country. There (laughs) are 11.2 Taco Bells per 100,000 people in Portland. So that makes it, okay. Seattle, number of Taco Bells that they have per 100,000 people, only 4.6. Wow. I I feel like the title should just be we have the most Taco Bells per capita. That's yeah, a that lot of drugs. Yeah, Taco Bell. <laughs> that just means that they, they really... really buried the lead. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I just, can you look at the bottom? Does it say sponsored by Taco Bell? <laughs> can we just scroll, scroll up a little? Fr- <laughs> what Taco Bell franchise wrote this? I know. <laughs> it's brilliant though. Yeah. If you like Taco Bell, don't go to Baltimore. Very few po- Taco oh. Bells in Baltimore, apparently. Well, they must not smoke weed there. (laughs) They must not. They must not have any weed in Baltimore, (laughs) is what I'm hearing. (laughs) I mean, based on their Taco Bell stats. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more headlines of the week. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. John, what's your story this week? Yeah, gosh, I've been so interested in this story about the REI in the Pearl District mm. announcing that they're closing, right? So there's been this REI in the Pearl since like 2004. 
And they came out this week and said that um, the store in Portland, and I'm quoting, had the highest number of break-ins and thefts in two decades, despite mm-hmm. actions to provide extra security. So it says that it's going to be closing this location uh, early next year because of crime. And they have had a number of break-ins. They said they had 10 burglaries last year. Um, you might remember on Black Friday, REI always closes, and someone drove a car through the front what? door of oh, REI. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a little that's a little much. Yeah. You know, but breaking yeah, it, a window, hmm. driving your entire car in. It's dedication. But, <laughs> but is, I mean, to me, it's just like a really interesting, another layer in this question of like, What's going on with crime in Portland? Mm-hmm. And and it and it is actually a little bit more complicated than it looks like at the very start. But yeah, what do you guys think about that? I'm wondering if you could draw a line from this kind of uptick in uh or like what REI was experiencing and Renee Gonzalez taking over uh Portland Street response and them cutting off that tarp and tent program that they had. Like Street Response was handing out tents and tarps. Right. And now they don't. And then our REI is getting absolutely plundered. So I'm wondering if there's like a <laughs> connection between those things. Do you know what I mean? It took so me saying, a minute, but, yeah. but I got So you're you seeing that car drove in and just took a bunch of tents is what you're – just all the tents. What else do they have there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's yeah. their point? They have emergency hiking food, which might be another thing. Like very you know, dehydrated food. Very expensive Very expensive. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. No, I mean jackets, blankets, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It does seem like that would be the place to hit. Like if we're if if you're in this like post-apocalyptic mindset, you have nothing, right? You're living mm-hmm. on the street. Yeah, you're going to hit an REI. But did you guys hear the twist, the 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 plot twist of this story is mm-hmm. that a lot of workers have come out and stated that like uh so we were about to unionize. It's kind of interesting <gasps> that they're closing oh, the store. Mm-hmm. And that's their official statement when they've cut our hours so severely that we have like a food pantry in one of the offices because we're coming to work hungry. Like basically like we've gotten screwed and now the, na- and now 120 of us need to find a new job. And the statement wow. and what they were saying is that REI was just like no guaranteed jobs. Just like they are they're welcome to apply to all of the other, other REIs in oh, Oregon, that's so which is rude. like su- to me, that just means like they were like. And a fuck you. You know what I Absolutely mean? Absolutely that. Yeah. Yes. Very yeah. that. Yes. So and I, that's why that's why I think that this is that's why this story pisses me off. Because I think we've seen a lot of businesses that have been deciding to close and have been like, it's because of crime. Right. But then when you dig into it and it's like, well, no, actually there's something else going on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Walmart made a big show of saying we're closing because of crime. And then you dig into it and it's like, well, actually, like we passed really progressive taxes on companies whose CEOs make way more than their employees mm-hmm. that was aimed directly at Walmart. So, like, maybe it wasn't just crime. You know, right. why did you only pull out of Portland where, like, these laws have been passed? And I feel like this is the same yeah. thing. My question is whether they're just scapegoating this crime issue, which I think is real, and sort of putting it on that so that they don't have to deal with the sort of stickier reasons why they might be moving out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I live close to the Walmart in Delta Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so right before it closed, I was like, I want to see what it's like in there right now. What does it look like right before a Walmart goes <laughs> oh, yeah. under? And it was creepy, but um, it was definitely like ghostly. Mm-hmm. But what struck me the most was uh, all the workers were 
just very openly talking about, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. How could they yeah. do this to us? What? And oh. so I went in there thinking like, ha ha, ha ha, Walmart, ha ha, and left just absolutely heartbroken. I felt like kind of an asshole for being like a mm-hmm. spectator about it. But um, that was a little bit of shitty insight. Oh. Yeah. And at this REI store, it employs, I think, 150 people. So there oh are, gosh. you know, come next year, yeah. there's a lot of people that are going to be in the top spot. And they're really good at their job. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone there to look for something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a ding dong. Like, I don't know anything about anything when it comes to being outside. And they're so helpful. And they're and like, mm-hmm. that REI was different because they're not like, you need this $5,000. They're just like, all you're going to need is this and then see if you like it. Come back. We might get you something bigger next time. I don't know. You know, just so yeah. sweet. I really loved going to that REI. Yeah. Brianna, didn't you have a story about some outdoor store turning into a cannabis store? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, the U.S. outdoor store, that's a, that's like proper downtown. So the Southwest. Um, yeah. Broadway Cannabis Co. took it over. There we and they've go. got designs to like, they're going to rejuvenate the area. They renovated the building. It looks gorgeous. So they really want to like spread that out into the mm-hmm. neighborhood and they're trying to like herald the new era of downtown. Oh my God. REI I love employees it. hit it up. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> look at us just solving problems. John, look at that. Look at us. Just solving problems. <laughs> just solving problems. People are like, they talk a lot. No, man, we're solving problems. Solving problems. <laughs> well, I'd like to share my story. Um, uh, Brianna, this is your first time here, but uh, something about me that John already knows a lot about is that I love high drama and irony. So my story this week uh, comes from a reporter mm. <laughs> yeah, named uh, Lucas Manfield uh, at the Willamette Week, where you work. Uh, yeah, and I mentioned, him. yeah, okay. So I'm mentioning him because this is like his his story. Like he mm-hmm. investigated this and I, you know, hats off with him. So early this week, Lucas discovered that... Um, Portland police officer Brian Hunziker was also working as a sheriff's deputy in Washington state for like months and nobody noticed. And I I, I didn't know this, but I guess you can't patrol in two different states or cities um, and not tell anyone. Um, So he had to resign uh, from the Portland Police Bureau and Clark County, Washington has put him on administrative leave. So dude had two jobs. Now he has none. And that's not the full story because Hunziker. Yeah, who, has who's this Hunziker guy? That name sounds familiar. I mean, Claudia. do y'all remember this guy? <laughs> who, who is this guy? I, I seem to recall oh, another story please. about Brian Hunziker. Who is from- Hunziker. <laughs> well, he he used to be the president of the Portland Police Union uh, until he was fired last year by uh, his boss and mayor Ted Wheeler. Do y'all remember why he was fired? Because. I, do you remember this? When this went down, oh, it was just like, oh. I remember. But please remind us. <laughs> remind us, Claudia. Okay. Well, it appeared that he was trying to set up then-commissioner Joanne Hardesty, which, who was a really vocal critic of the police department, by leaking an uninvestigated 911 dispatch report of a hit and run to the press. And I think it was to the Oregonian specifically, and I am pointing fingers, because they also were just like, mm, thank you, and then just published it without... <laughs> Uh, you know, a second look, which I understand, like, you're like, a cop is giving me this. They must not be lying. Um, so what happened was this lady called 911, told a dispatcher that she was confident 
Hardesty had rear-ended her vehicle at an intersection and then fled the scene. And Hunziker was alerted of the report, did zero investigating, even though there were traffic cameras everywhere. And that's eventually how they found the actual, like, perpetrator. Um, And was just, like, good enough, leaked it to the Oregonian, and was like, got her. And that was that. Uh, But Hunziker didn't even do the most basic research because Hardesty only, like, not only did she have proof that she was, like, nowhere near that scene, but she didn't even have, like, a working car for, like, a year. Like, she... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> driven every, literally like less than two weeks later there was another report that she was rude to a lift driver and it's like yeah she'd be lifting <laughs> she doesn't drive anywhere <laughs> sorry so like obviously it was embarrassing for the police department because they look like clear retaliation and abuse of power yeah. he was fired and I guess somewhere in between then he got a job at Clark County Washington because that's where he lives he lives mm-hmm. in Washington it just doesn't make sense. And I mean, he got fired. And then the whole time he was trying to get back. So, of course, the reason he got fired again from the Portland Police Department is because he got hired again. He was reinstated in mm-hmm. February. Some arbitrator was just like, hey, he was fired under political reasons, which to, to this day, I'm just like, oh, the political Lord. reasons he was. Yes, he was hired for political reasons. His political reasons. <laughs> like, yes, yes. And and I will say, OK, so there, there, there was an arbitration, right? There was right. an arbitration between the Portland police and the city over his firing. What is the organization that does arbitrations? Is that the Portland Police Union that he sure. used to be pretty the president sure. of? Yes, I'm pretty sure it was the just, Portland Police Union that just, brought him just, back in. Just pointing that out. Yeah, just a handful of months of him. So, of course, when that happened in February, like there were a ton of community uh, advocates and just members, just people on the street with, with you know, with reasoning skills being like, that doesn't seem right. That seems a little weird. We don't like this. But they were like, mm-hmm. too bad. And Mayor Ted Wheeler had to walk back. And just be like, well, this is what's happening. I just hope that um, people trust us again because this this all sucks. <laughs> this all sucks. So he comes wow. back in. And then this is the irony that this is how he goes out is that people were just like, so you had two jobs? The dumbest reason to get fired. Honestly, like after everything that dude did, moonlighting is like what brought him down? Yeah, moonlight. After everything that he us through. <laughs> I know. Moonlighting is what took him out. Oh, there's a great gosh. sitcom episode in here. You think so? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm like trying to like be like, oh, I'm in Washington. Oh, I'm in Portland. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. But he was cashing paychecks for like two near six-figure salaries without yeah. someone oh. noticing. And I I hope this is the last chapter of the Hunziger saga. Like if he comes back for some freaking oh reason, geez Louise. At this point, That's it means that- shit. Yeah, <laughs> some zombies. That's some political zombie <laughs> shit right there. Political zombie shit. But I'll end with this. I feel like this yet. This is yet another solid- Sam reason. Adams did it. Oh. <laughs> Brianna just like left Ayo. the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think it's going to be interesting though. When, the, when we have this expansion of uh, city council, like there's going to be a lot more seats on city council. It's and I'm true. sure that we're going to see all sorts oh, of like yeah, just political ghosts through. from the past being like me again, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, like we're just going to be all sorts of greatest hits of like. And they won't need, they won't need that many votes to get through either. Yeah. Yeah. So it I've, could be I've, a real clown mm-hmm. show. I feel like uh I think that we should just just coin it now. Brianna, you should definitely like TM that like a political zombie act. I love the <laughs> word of like being like, oh he's zombie. Like you using it in that way where someone comes back like oh, I thought you were dead. <laughs> like, no, I am Wiener and I am back. 
You know, you're just like, why are you Fear that? me. <laughs> Nothing will bring you down. Um, oh my gosh. I, I hate to be in just like pile on mode, but there is like one more detail in this story that just flipped my brain. It's, uh, he wrote, the Portland Police Bureau has so far been unable to explain yep. what duties Hunziker was actually assigned since mm-hmm. returning to payroll. Yeah, that's what the I was. The bureau has uh, simply stopped yeah. responding to Willamette Week's emails. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, what, what you know, there is documentation of what he was doing in Washington, but like in Portland, they're just sort of like, I don't know, he was doing police. He stuff. was he was coming in and picking up a check. Yeah. yeah, totally. But also, I feel like this is yet another solid reason why the city should require officers to live within city limits. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling, but um I think it might benefit the quality of policing because like it feels a lot of people are always like it feels like the police don't care about Portland. We call them. They don't come. And maybe it's because they don't freaking live here and they don't have any investment in our community. They're all from Washington. Um, The Portland Mercury did a data study in 2021 and found that only 18 percent of all sworn (gasps) officers employed by the Portland Police Bureau live actually live in Portland city limits. More officers are living in Washington state than in Portland. And I feel Mm -hmm. like my piece here is like, why do we keep doing this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there there has been a situation where they have a ton of unfilled roles, right? Like Mm -hmm. they've had a hard time getting Mm -hmm. enough people to fill the ranks of the open positions in the police department as well. And like, I get it. Like, I understand why a lot of people would not want to be a police officer in Portland right now. But um yeah, I mean, the the whole idea of having people who live outside of the community and then coming in and only having a relationship to the community that involves crime. Yeah, you know? through the worst that, like, part. Like, yeah. you, you go to work and, like, work is crime. Like, that doesn't – yeah, that's just not a good recipe for, like – A compassionate, you know, uh, empathetic uh, peace officer, which is not what we're getting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry to bum us all down, but, you know, it, it is part of my job. It's okay. We had some laughs. <laughs> John's remembering the good times. <laughs> some good times, you guys. Remember the weed? Remember yeah, I remember the weed. I, I totally remember the weed. John. Remember the the bridge? The, yeah. John, remember bridge the, cart? the bridge? That was really funny. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is the bridge sound. <laughs> That's like going up. Yeah. This was how they go down. That's very good. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Brianna, anytime, come back. Uh, talk to us oh, about anything you're working it. on. Uh, John, I'll see you in like, I don't know, 15 minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll see you on Slack, slacking you right now. All right. Thanks, Claudia. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, and our host is me, Claudia Meza. Special thanks to Natalie Rivera for her production help this week. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs> <laughs>